I want you to imagine yourself driving your car on the highway, and you just happen to look on the dashboard, and you saw that red light flashing. <laughs> Engine trouble. Engine trouble. Have you been there? A few times. <laughs> the car keeps on going. I mean, it never really comes to a complete stop. You don't see smoke coming out of the engine or, or any um, sounding of noise. No visible sign whatsoever that the car is in trouble except for that dreaded red light. <laughs> it just keeps flashing you and irritating you. Now, if you're not mechanical like the rest of us, obviously the first reaction is to go and find the first garage that's nearby, and you go out and let them take a look at it. Why? Because at least you know enough <laughs> to realize that this red light is connected to the engine somehow, right? There's, a, there's some, some connection to that engine. In the same way, when fear begins to raise its ugly head in your life, that fear is connected with a wire right to your faith. Now, what faith am I talking about? I am not talking about your saving faith. I'm talking about your daily faith, the faith by which you walk every single day, decisions you make, relationships you form. This is the daily faith that I'm talking about. And the reason I want to make sure that I'm distinguishing between your saving faith and your daily faith is because a lot of people confuse the two. I remember one time, many years ago, I was talking to a dear brother who was going through a very fearful time. And I happened to share with him from my personal experience, I said, your fear is directly connected to your faith. Well, he lost it. And he raised his voice and he said, there is nothing wrong with my faith. Well, he was right. There is nothing wrong with his saving faith. If he dies that moment, he will be in heaven with Jesus. There is no doubt in my mind that he loved the Lord. And uh, that taught me a lesson, that I always want to make sure that when I'm talking about the kind of faith that I'm talking about, that I'm distinguishing between saving faith and daily faith. When you, as a, a Christian person, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, active in the church, going to your Bible study and going to small groups, doing all the kind of things that all the Christian people do, and your life seemed to be just humming along, and then all of a sudden, lo and behold, there is that flashing light in the dashboard of your life that says fear, fear, fear. In other words, engine trouble, engine trouble. What do you do? You stop and you check the engine of your faith. That's what you need to do. Now, this is the third in the series of messages that are all coming literally from one verse in the Bible, and that is Matthew 8.26. There we have been seeing Jesus was on the Lake of Galilee, and there was a severe storm, unprecedented storm, that scared the disciples, and they thought they were about to die. And so they wake Jesus up, who was asleep in the boat, and they said, don't you care if we perish? And there, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've been seeing this it's because it's very important, He rebukes them for the lack of faith first, and then He calms the storm. He said, ye of little faith, 
Why are you so afraid? When there's little faith, there is much fear. But today I want to talk to you about what to do when the red light of fear begins to flash in your life. You see it in the dashboard of your life. It's there and there's no denying it. When fear begins to raise its ugly head, when fear begins to be your daily companion, uh, what you do when your business is experiencing signs of trouble, what you do when your marriage is experiencing signs of turmoil, what you do when your job has been threatened or eliminated, what do you do when your family is falling apart, what do you do There are some who are trying to drown their fear with alcohol. There are some who are trying to tranquilize their fear. There are some who are trying all forms of escapism to escape the reality of their fear. And the problem is that all of these temporary measures compound the problem. They never solve it. It would be like me driving along the highway, and I see that engine light flashing, engine trouble, and I do what I'm inclined to do, and that is bang on the dashboard. <laughs> ain't going to help one bit. <laughs> Makes me feel a little better, but ain't going to help it. The engine still in trouble. Or that I would attempt to pull on the side there, and say, that dreaded light is just bothering me. It's worrying me. It's troubling me. So I try to reach out and disconnect it. <laughs> Ain't going to make any difference because the trouble still there. In the same way, hear me right, please. This is important. Trying to numb your fear, trying to tranquilize your fear, trying to drink away your fear, will only extinguish the warning light, but ain't going to solve the problem. Not only that, but it has been proven over and over and over again from secular as well as the Christian circles and studies that alcohol only causes greater anxiety. It only causes greater depression. Never solve a problem. Compounds the problem instead of solving it. And the answer to fear is to conquer it, not tranquilize it. The answer to our fear is faith, not freaking out. The answer to our fear is the promises of God in the Word of God, not sedatives. The answer to our fear is the conquering power of Jesus Christ, not temporarily escaping it. Remember that fear is neutral. It can master you, or you can master it. You can defeat it in Jesus' name, or it can defeat you. Uh, You can temporarily tranquilize it or conquer it. And remember this, because Jesus' primary concern for all His disciples is what? Their faith. There's a, a story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. Many of you are familiar with it. But bear with me because don't allow your familiarity to rob you of a new insight that God is going to give you today. Most people miss the point of this parable. They really do. And the parable is this. There was an investor who chose three money managers. To the first one, he gives five talents. And this man goes out in faith, in courage, and with diligence, 
and invests the five talents, and he doubles the talents and comes back with ten to the master, and the master commends him. The second one gets two talents, and he goes out in faith and in courage, and he would do work diligently, and he will double the two talents, and he comes back to the master, and the master commends him exactly the same way he commends the one who had the five. He never said to him, he said, hey, why didn't you bring more? And the one who had the two never looked back and said, you know, you gave him five, you only gave me two. I don't have as many talents as this guy. Huh? No, they got exactly the same reward. Then there was the third one. He got one talent. And he went out and hid it. Now, you know that much. Do you know why he hid the talent? Fear. Fear. Let me give you his own words <laughs> so that you think I'm making the stuff up. Matthew 25, 25. Easy to remember. Matthew 25, 25. Here's what he said. I was afraid. <laughs> I was terrified. I was in fear. And I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. Now, this man's colossal blunder brought from the mouth of the master some of the most incredible, the severest words of condemnation. What's happening here? This man allowed his fear to distort his judgment. He allowed his fear to distort his vision. He allowed his fear to question his master's motives. He allowed fear to master his actions. He allowed fear to dominate all of his decision-making process. He allowed fear to confuse his mind. Uh, he allowed fear to paralyze his will. Listen to me. I know pastors and Bible teachers who literally compromise the truth out of fear. That's why we have so much burnout in, in ministry these days. Once you start compromising, there's no end. And that is why in this unprecedented economic recession, I believe that this can lead to the greatest spiritual height that we've ever experienced in modern time within the church of Jesus Christ, or it can take us down to the abyss. It's a great opportunity for us either to soar on the wings of faith, or we reverse back to fear. And I believe the Lord wants us to be on the wings of faith. Two things. Number one, you must learn how to pray your fear out and how to pray faith in. You pray fear out and faith in. Secondly, learn to claim the power of the Lord Jesus Christ like you have never experienced it before. Number one, pray your fear out and faith in. In fact, I read recently about the sea captain who was an avowed atheist. I mean, he is outspoken atheist. He did not believe in God at all. And one day, there was a severe storm, and he got washed overboard. Well, one of his men heard him praying to God. So, sure enough, they rescued him. And when they got him on board, and he got refreshed, and finally one of the men said to him, he said, I thought you don't believe in God. He said, well... If there isn't a God, there ought to be one in times like this. <laughs> the truth is this. Please listen. God loves to hear the cries of His people, he, especially for salvation. 
God loves to hear the cries of His children who are asking for faith and strength and faith and more faith so they can walk in trusting in Him 100% of the time. In fact, realizing your own inadequacy and your total dependence on God is your first step in overcoming fear. It is your first step in building those faith muscles. Your prayer for faith that conquers fear is a prayer that God not only longed to hear, but loves to answer. Ah, but you know what I noticed through the years? Most of us have enough grace to cry to God in times of trouble, but we don't have grace enough to believe that He's going to answer us. That's the problem. That's the problem of the modern church and modern believers. And disciples were not the only ones who really wondered why God slept while they are perishing. They weren't the first ones. Oh, look at the Old Testament. Read how many of the old saints have cried to God in the same way. Listen to what Isaiah 51.9, just as a sample. Awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days gone by, as in the generations of old. But when the disciples panicked in the middle of the storm and walked Jesus up, I am convinced in my mind they must have wondered why Jesus is not afraid. (laughs) I mean, His calm must have perplexed them. In fact, in some of the accounts, they thought He was insensitive. said, don't you care if we perish? Don't you care what happens to us? Master, don't you care about our bleak future? Don't you care about being washed overboard? Pray your fear out and pray faith in. Acknowledge in prayer what is frightening you. Acknowledge in prayer what is causing you anxiety. Acknowledge in prayer what is distressing you. Acknowledge in prayer what is worrying you. I know in the Western church and in the American church particularly, we, we get up on Sunday morning and we all put on our spiritual masks and, man, we all look good. <laughs> Listen, God wants to hear your heartache. Why? Because He sees through that spiritual mask that you put on anyway. And He just wants you to acknowledge what you go through. He wants you to call on Him. And when your heart is poured out to God as you pray your fear out, sometimes you may hear His precious voice with a gentle rebuke for you, just as He did with the disciples. Why are you so afraid? You of little faith, haven't you seen enough of my power in your life? Haven't you experienced my past protections? Haven't you experienced my past healings? Haven't you experienced my past saving power? Haven't you felt secure with me in my hands before? Haven't you felt my compassion in the past. Why are you so afraid? Haven't I demonstrated to you that I have your best interest at heart? Did we not sing together in the temple those great words of Psalm 46? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters foam and roar, 
and the mountain quake with their surging. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Why did he choose Jacob? Why did he say the God of Jacob? I want to tell you why. Because Jacob teaches us how to pray our fears out and faith in. Genesis chapter 32. Now I want to go through the whole story. You know, he runs away and he goes into his uncle Laban and becomes a mighty army. He said, with my staff I crossed the Jordan, now I've become two armies. And he comes back with his children and his wives and his concubines and and on all the servants and and the cattle and everything else and is heading back. But all that time, he's been terrified of his brother Esau. The fear of Esau was obviously irritating him that whole time. It's always been afraid of Esau. What am I going to do? I dread the day that I'm going to face Esau. What's going to happen? And so he comes in just before he met Esau. Genesis 32, verse 11. He cries his fear out. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. For I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers and their children. What is he doing? He's praying his fear where? Out. Verse 12. But Lord, you have said... Uh Aha. Mark that one down. Mark that one down. He's holding on to the promises of God. He prayed his fear out. Now he's praying faith in. Verse 12. But, Lord, you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. What is Jacob doing? He is praying his fear out, and he's praying faith in. (laughs) Like Job of old. You know, we talk about somebody who went from rags to riches. This is one man who went from riches to rags. And he sat on a pile of dirt. His body's stricken with boils. He's crying to God. And yet he prayed with confidence. Although Satan is accusing me, although Satan is causing him all sorts of havoc, although Satan is causing him all sorts of fears and anxiety and terror, although Satan is harassing him and oppressing him, but he knew that God has the last word. And he knew that God would bring him to the other side with double blessings. Pray your fear out. Pray faith in. Pray your fear out. Pray the promises of God in. Secondly, pray God's power in your life. Our biggest problem in the West generally is that we really, truly, and you you go and examine your own heart. I'm not condemning anybody. I know I'm talking of my personal experience. We really have minimized the power of God in our lives. We really have. Just think about this with me. I mean, there is no problem we have that science cannot solve, right? There's no problem we have that we don't throw money at it and it's going to go away. I mean, that's how we think. We got so bamboozled by secular thinking, by secular culture, that even the children of the living God are thinking the same way. I mean, there is no problem that legislation and politicians cannot get us out of it. I got news for you. People still get sick. People still suffer. People still worry in times of trouble. People still die. Hurricanes and storms and tornadoes still happen. 
And neither science, nor money, nor legislation, nor politicians are able to solve them. As a matter of fact, have you noticed how every time science seems to solve one problem, ten problems pop up? I mean, really, I mean, just think about this. Every time it's like, oh, we've got a breakthrough, ten new ones come up. As if God says, okay, <laughs> good boys and girls, <laughs> keep trying. The only power that's worthy of its name for the children of the living God, for the child of God, is the power of Jesus. And that is why what we're going through right now, in all honesty, I can tell you that it can be a blessing to us. It really can. It can be a great blessing because it's going to take us out of dependence on all these things and to dependence on God and see the power of God manifested like we've never seen it in modern time. Because what we're going through right now is revealing the inadequacy of science. And I love science. I am not an anti-intellectual. You know that. But it's revealing the inadequacy of money or science or ingenuities or, or politics and politicians and policies. Listen to me. Man may have the power to destroy the world, but they have no power to perfect the world. Only Jesus has that power. And until we bow our knees before God, all of our solutions are only temporary fixes. Man may have power to destroy a life, but has no power to create it. Only God has that power. And part of the reason Jesus was manifested as the, the, the Messiah, the, the anointed of God, who existed with the Father before our worlds. He came to redeem us. He came to die for us. And also He came to demonstrate His power over all these things. He has power to redeem man from sin. He's the only one who has that power. He has power to reverse the curses of sin. He's the only one who has that power. He has the power to heal diseases. He's the only one who has that power. He has the power to raise the dead, and He's the only one who has that power. He has the power to still the storms in our lives, and He's the only one who has that power. He has the power over Satan and all of his demons, and He's the only one who has that power. And if we truly believe, I'm saying we believe, and it'll be a statement of faith. I'm talking about really, really believe it deep in our hearts. It's part of our DNA. If we really believe in the power of God, I promise you, this place would be packed out on Wednesday nights, <laughs> calling for the power of God. The problem is that we're not really sure if we just say we believe in the power of Jesus— and we want Him somehow to use that power to help us get out of a fix, or we really believe it, that we can walk in it and through it, moment by moment, day by day. And if we are, are we ready to risk anything to demonstrate and claim that power? You see, God always waits until we run out of all human solutions before He manifests His power for His children. Because when our strength replaces His, when our ingenuity replaces His, when our power replaces His, when our own peace, manufactured peace, replaces 
His peace, when our own will replaces His perfect will, when our own self-sufficiency replaces His all-sufficiency, we find ourselves paddling our canoes in the middle of the storm. You know, here's what I've seen through all the years in ministry. I've seen some people who might not have any cause for fear, and yet they're fearful. And yet I've seen people who have every reason to fear, but they're not afraid. You know what the difference is? You know what the difference is? A complete trust in the Lord Jesus. And just as saving faith is a gift from God that He gives us so that we may believe in Him and receive Him as Savior and Lord, so is our daily faith as a gift from God. Have you asked for it? Well, you can start today. Pray your fears out and pray faith in. Pray the power of God, that power that is sustaining the universe. Every atom in the universe is sustained by the power of God. Every galaxy and every star in their orbits, they are sustained by the power of God. And that's the very power that Jesus is offering His children. So, brother, let me appeal to you, sister. Let me appeal to you. Don't tranquilize your fears. Don't tranquilize your fears. Don't drown. Try to drown your fears in alcohol. Don't try to escape from your fears. Defeated by the power of God in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, what an honor and a privilege to know you, not just as our Savior who is going to take us to heaven, but as our sustainer in our daily faith that we can trust in you, we can walk with you, and no matter how dark it may get, and no matter how rough it may get, that we know you promised us a safe passage, that you're going to take us to the other side safely, though the righteous may suffer, but you will give them victory over them all. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And Father, we rejoice in you. And Lord, I pray if there's a single person here who does not know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, who has not experienced the saving power of God, that this day be the day in which he or she will come to you. And Father, for the rest of you children, I pray that they will begin by this power and they know what it is and how to claim it. For I pray that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.